Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome back. I'm Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. We're here for another episode of 1% Better. And not to be cliche or hokey, but the Colts, they got better this week, I felt like, because they got their starting quarterback back in the lineup, at least on a limited basis. And I will tell you, for those of you who weren't at practice this week because they were wrapping up, there wasn't a whole lot of access this week. But I don't know how limited you would call yeah, what Carson Wentz was this week. Doesn't feel like the right <laughs> word, does it? It's limited because by NFL standards, if you don't do all of the practice, you're limited, right? And he's being held out of the full team 11-on-11 drills. They don't want him getting stepped on or – tied up, you know, with his center quarterback type of deal, which does happen, or, you know, getting pressured by a defensive lineman and making a bad step or something like that. I get that, right? But that is largely precautionary. This guy's moving pretty good. Uh, I felt like there was, you tell me your thoughts on this, Zach, but I felt like there was a there was a vibe in practice yeah. this week that was different. It felt different to me. You? Yeah, you nailed it. it. It felt different the minute he stepped back on the field. The hope seemed to rise. And, you know, we've been watching every rep from Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason the last four weeks, three weeks. And, and I think I turned to you at one point. I go, that's what it's supposed to look like when Wentz was out there. And Wentz has not been perfect by any means. Let's be honest. He's a little rusty. He's missing some throws. But that's what an NFL starter is supposed to look like. And I don't think this week could have gone any better on that front for this franchise. This guy's back a week earlier than a lot of us anticipated. And not only is he back, it's what he's doing now that he's back. He's moving completely at full speed. He's putting pressure on the foot. He's throwing on the run. I mean, I don't think the Colts could have gotten any better news when you couple that with the fact that Ryan Kelly is back at center and Quentin Nelson is back at left guard. Now, there's not sure things. I'm talking Wentz and and Quentin. There's some still some steps to go, and they not they're not participated in the live team periods yet. But I don't think last week I would have believed you if you told me that come Monday morning, Quentin, you know Carson Wentz was going to be out there taking every single seven on seven rep, every individual rep with the first team, and looking pretty damn good while he does it. So um, this was kind of the Colts best case scenario you know they always proceeded with a lot of caution right like we've been through this before with the quarterback we're not going to promise you anything we hope he's on the good end of the spectrum the five to 12 week timeline um that dude was back in three and he looks really good yeah and and so that leads me to something related because i think a lot of people you know wondered were they playing this up a little too much or were they making a big deal is this some kind of a smoke screen no i i think that we all did our due diligence here, and we've we've had doctors interviewed who who said, yeah, this kind of injury does happen, and the timeline makes sense. In fact, a lot of them thought it would be. I, I saw takes where most people thought it would be toward the the latter part of 
the timeline and not the former more the more the closer to the 12 week than the five week mark right and so i just think a couple things happened i think number one they did have some intel because they their doctors work for them right so they knew they knew what was going on they had the particulars of of what was found in there and it was a very successful surgery from everything we were told on carson that's the important part that's what you don't know going in but you do know now is that it right. was a small bone fragment. They went in, they got it. There was nothing else going on that was wrong, and you give him three weeks. But the fact that he was out there seven days later walking around without a boot or yeah. a cast or even a wrap tells you that, okay, he feels okay. Yeah, it really did. And, you know, I, I think throughout this, you just kind of alluded to it, you know, that they were – they've been burned before, <laughs> and, you know, putting a, too much trust in, in a quarterback's comeback. And everyone knows what you mean by that, right? You're talking about Andrew Luck and that – what three year saga that we had to do with <laughs> the longest shoulder injury in history, right? Yeah. But but I, I think the the key here is that is true. And and I think the Colts did learn something from that. I never felt they lied necessarily throughout that episode. I think it was just more a matter of uh they they made some some projections that weren't totally accurate. And cause because facts change. Facts can change. They can be true one moment and perhaps change the next and that did happen however in this case they clearly were going to be very judicious about what they did and didn't say there's a reason for example we have been asking to interview Carson Wentz throughout this and Carson himself wanted to wait until he had some tangible news that he could deliver and talk about and boy did he ever have some tangible news to talk about this week so they played this right I guess is what I'm saying which is you know to to not set expectations too high. And if things work out better, great. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, I want to go back to something I, I mentioned a little bit ago when when I said that practice felt different. I don't think this team was lacking for confidence or anything like that. But I will tell you this. There's no question. This is a different football team today versus a week ago. You know, when you factor in Carson Wentz's presence. It is the difference is tremendous, and I—it's no disrespect to to Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger. You know, they did, I think, improve along the course of the past three weeks. But there's no question. I mean, as much as we wanted to give them credit for making the steps that they made, that was never going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just be no. honest? Yeah, it was never going to work, and they were not going to get it done. And I'll tell you, man, the the talent with Carson Wentz, you see it when you when you watch him. You know, it's one thing to watch an occasional Eagles game, right? It's another thing to watch him throughout an entire week of practice. I'm telling you, because we didn't see that much. We saw like a day and a half of practice, and he got hurt. This was, I think, the longest stretch that we got to watch him up close for us. And I will tell you, I mean, it's pretty compelling to watch this guy i mean the talent is obvious he has to figure it out and he has to harness it and he's got to get himself under control all of that is true he found ways to screw it up okay that is all true but i would just tell you i mean you can't watch this guy on a day-to-day basis and not understand what people saw in this guy i see it more than i have ever 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 seen it this past week i mean what were your thoughts did, did you get that yeah. same impression I think we were talking. We should just record a podcast on the sideline at training camp one day because that would be better than this. But I think at one point I turned to you today and I said, or you either turned to me or vice versa, and you said, "There's nothing he can't do." 
Like he can do it all. Like he's not one of these, you know, Mahomes and Rogers. Let's not go too far. But like from a physical standpoint, he's got everything. And it does jump off the field from our standpoint. Like it, yep. it just maybe it's because we watched Rivers last year and Brissett the year before, but it's jarring. And that's what Frank Reich said back in May when they had him on the field the first time. He's like, he is a physical specimen for the position. He's built like a tight end. And he moves like a running back, and he can throw it 60 yards from his back foot, like Michael Pittman said. That is jarring. It's it's everything you want and in true. an NFL quarterback. It's true, and it, it it's hard to put into words. It's hard to describe just how much, like you said, the vibe just kind of changed, but it did. Like, all of a sudden, it was just like, that's what it's supposed to look like. And Wentz has missed some throws, but it just – and then he'll two plays later, he'll make a ridiculous throw that we haven't seen made in three weeks. You know what I mean? So um, – and, and I don't want to make the comparison, and I know everyone's going to. He's not Andrew Luck, but he plays a little bit like Andrew Luck. Like, he's got that big, strong build. He can move around in the pocket. He can throw any angle at any point from anywhere on the field. And I think they're going to use him like they used Andrew Luck. Now, Frank needs to rein him in, and Carson needs to stop making the mistakes he made last year in Philly. But with a better O-line, with more weapons, and with Frank behind him, you know, you think that's probably going to happen. It'll probably start slow. He won't light the world on fire those first four or five weeks. I just don't see that happening. But I think he could really get into a groove in, in October, November, and then December. And then that's kind of the feeling I've gotten from inside the building is like, okay, like it might take a little bit of time. He missed three weeks of training camp, and that's important. But they're going to be a tough team to beat. And I'm working on a story for the season opener sort of about that. And I know you're looking into something on Carson as well. But let's let's – remove sort of just the quarterback and, and look at the team, this is not a team with a lot of weaknesses. I had a lot of questions going into camp about the pass rush, the cornerback spot, and then obviously Wentz. But Wentz looks great, and I, I think he'll be out there week one. I'd be stunned if he wasn't. They've got something working in, in Julian Davenport at left tackle until Fisher returns. Serviceable is the word I would use. I've, I've really liked what I've seen from the pass rush and, and – Quiddy Pay has come on. Toure's back out there now. Ben Banigou has come out of nowhere. I, this is a this is going to be a tough team to beat because they don't have a lot of weaknesses on the roster. Do you agree? I totally agree. I think that is their strength. Honestly, is the depth of their roster, and I think they're strong at some important spots. Right? They're strong at offensive line. Eric Fisher. Look, I, I mean, is he going to be on the pup list to start the season? I kind of doubt it, actually. I doubt it, too. Yeah, so I think he, he will be back at some point. I don't expect that he's going to play opening day. That's not what we're talking about. I think he's going to miss some time. But he's in, the, he's in the conversation to play early. No question about that. And then, so that offensive line, I think, ultimately will be fine. Uh, they're, they're good at the skill positions, I think. Probably underrated. Everyone... And fantasy football loves to talk about Jonathan Taylor, but I think they're overlooking what I believe to be a very deep receiver position. You know, they don't have maybe that that all pro, you know, Devontae Adams level guy, you know, at at the top of that unit. But they have from one through four, you have starting quality players, one through four. No question about it. And and frankly, I think upper level players and guys like T.Y. Hilton and, and Michael Pittman, for sure. So that group I like. Their tight ends have a history of production. I don't worry about those guys. And I think Kylan Granson, I think, is going to be just fine, by the way. And and then like, on defense, I mean, the strength of their defense is in the middle. And yeah. that that's important. That's important. I, at the end of the day, 
You've got to be good up front. They are. They will Two control the line of scrimmage. Two of the best players in camp were Grover yeah. Stewart and DeForest Buckner. Yeah, you can control the line of scrimmage on defense. Everybody else can do their job. So I think you're going to see Quiddy Pay get some one-on-ones, and he won't win them all, but he's going to win his fair share. You know, and then whoever's on the other side, they're going to win some too. I think that's what this is going to boil down to. And they're going to have to hopefully make life easier for the guys on the back end and, and let them not be under so much pressure and have to make so many plays. I think that can happen. I, I really don't see a place where this team is, is weak. You know, I mean, there are some individual positions maybe individual spots where you say, oh, you know what, I don't love the third corner or I don't love this position or that position. But in terms of unit to unit, tell me a unit that just sucks, right? There's not one. I don't see one. Am I missing one? You know, the third cornerback gives me pause, but sure. the cornerback room as a whole, you, you like Xavier Rhodes. And, and I got to say, and I wrote this in my story today, Kenny Moore was a freaking monster in training camp. Like he has been a pain in the ass to, to try and get open against the entire week. I mean, there was a there was a series against the Panthers and one-on-one drills, right? So this is a heavily favored offensive drill, right? All you got to do is get open. And a lot of these guys make it look easy. Kenny won five straight passes. I mean, five straight. You don't see that from any corner. And the receivers for the Panthers are good. Like, one of them is Robbie Anderson, and he was in that drill. So, I mean, he was dominant. And and with Darius out early, you saw Bobby Okariki step up and really showcase what he can do sideline to sideline. He can cover in traffic. He can hit in traffic. Um, I thought he made a step forward with Darius out. Darius has been back the last couple of weeks. And then, like I said a minute ago, like I haven't written enough about it. No one's talking about it enough. But Buckner and Grover Stewart up front were were monsters. I mean, they were just abusing whatever the Colts' offensive line looked like for those first three weeks. I mean, Ryan Kelly wasn't there and Quentin wasn't there. And so you want to see him dominate? That's what they did. So, like you said, where's the strongest part of this team? It, it's going to be this way for a while around here. It's going to be up front. It's going to be the O-line and the D-line because that's what Chris Ballard wants. He's going to invest a lot of money to keep those guys. And as you get Nelson healthy and, and, and Ryan Kelly healthy, you know that's going to be the benchmark. And it's kind of what we said. We can talk all day about how good the roster is, but it's kind of like what, what Frank Reich said back in the spring. Carson doesn't need to be an MVP. And I think if he can get back to that level where he's like the eighth or ninth or tenth best quarterback in the league, where he's playing efficient football, not turning it over, not trying to be a superhero like he tried to be in Philly, they're going to be a team without a lot of weaknesses. And maybe this is what Rick Venturi always says, you know, how many ambient guys do you have? How many guys keep you up <laughs> at night? It. You know, Buckner keeps you up at night. Leonard keeps you up at night. Moore keeps you up at night on defense. On offense, ah, Taylor for sure. Yeah. Maybe Pittman. Maybe Pittman this year. Um, and I think Wentz can get to that point. But the key is he doesn't have to. And that's right. a reflection of the roster. And they're going to have to cut some good players next week. That's the reality. Yeah. They're definitely a team that I think the, the sum is better than the parts. You know, there's yeah, that's there, a there are it. a lot of teams out there that get a lot more media attention that maybe aren't as good. But they have individual stars, right? Because that's just kind of how sports work right i mean we 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 gravitate to to stars that's fine that's fine i don't care my point is though i think when you're trying to win on sunday it's not about individual guys i mean this isn't basketball you know you you have to have 
talent top to bottom. You have to have depth in particular. And, you know, we're now in a 17-game world, so that matters as well. I'm just telling you, I think top to bottom, this team, in terms of its its total roster, I think you could put this team top to bottom up against just about anybody. I'm not saying they're the best team. I'm just saying, I'm just saying in terms of their depth, I think their depth rivals pretty much any other team out there. We'll see how far that can take them. But I think that can take you a long way. Uh, I want to turn it back to, to Carson Wentz just for a moment because I think you hit on something there. All, everything we just talked about points to, okay, what they need from the quarterback is they have this good team. What they need from the quarterback is help them take it to the next level. But don't, but don't screw it up, right? Don't screw it up. That's really what he's got to do. And I think this is the place for him to do that. If Carson Wentz, I've said this before, if Carson Wentz can't do it here, then there's a very serious problem with Carson Wentz that, that's bigger than the Colts, okay? And the way I see it is this. He's got, I told you about the depth of the team. He's got all the pieces that he needs, but he also has the right coach. There's no question about this. And I'll write this story in a much more in-depth form at some point. But there is no question in my mind that you've got – so you got Frank Reich. What has Frank Reich done the last three years? Well, we know he's had three different quarterbacks. But it's not just that. They've had some measure of success with all of them. But what he's done specifically is he has gotten each guy to play at a very efficient level. Go back to 2018 – what was Andrew Luck's, you know, what, what was one of the frustrating things about Andrew Luck over the years was, all right, here's this prodigious talent. And then he would just make these dumb plays once in a while. And he'd be like, hey, what, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like you're like the 1400 SAT guy, right? <laughs> and so what, did, what happened in 2018? I thought Frank Reich was able to get the most efficient version of Andrew Luck we ever saw. I thought same thing with Jacoby Brissett, you know, in, in 2008, 2019, excuse me. That didn't go as well as anyone wanted, but in terms of what Jacoby was, I think he got the most efficient version of him. Before and the knee injury, I don't think yeah, yeah. Jacoby can play any better than that in the NFL. That's just my yeah. opinion. I think that's a fair statement, a very fair statement. And then we all saw 2020, which basically was, uh, here comes Phillip Rivers after throwing 94 interceptions, give or take. in Los Angeles, he comes here and he's wildly efficient, you know? So can he do that with Carson Wentz at the same level? I don't know. We'll see. But I think on some level he can. Yeah, he does. He does. He definitely believes that. And and if you're Frank Reich, don't you trust Frank Reich? (laughs) I think you have reason to, right? Like, he's proven it. I think Jim Mercer trusts him and Chris Ballard trusts him. And I think that's Sort of the fun part of this league is, and, and, and this one isn't the band-aid. This is the key for me. This is a this is about mm-hmm. this year, but it's also about the next three or four years. Like, mm-hmm. if this works, this could work for a while. And I feel like Carson is really, really happy to be here. I feel like he's really amped to get this shot. And the key is going to be he's not going to have to do it on it on himself. He's not going to have to do it himself. And I feel like he's refreshed coming to Indianapolis from whatever the heck happened in Philadelphia. And I can't speak to it. I wasn't there, but. Um, I've kind of gathered from a lot of these guys, like, okay, like you, you can see what this guy can do, and this is going to be fun. And we kind of talked about this today at practice. It was like Luck always made the hero play early in his career, and it darn near got him killed. And yeah. in 18, he didn't have to do it very often. Now, he could do it, and there's one play that comes to mind. He was rolling out to his left in that Week 17 a game against the Titans. They had to win to go to the playoffs, and he made a ridiculous throw to Dontrell Illman in the back of the end zone. Like, 
signature Andrew Luck play. Yeah. I'm telling you right now that Carson can do the same thing. Carson can do that. Jacoby couldn't. Phillip couldn't. Carson can do it. The key is only doing it once or twice or three times a game because you don't have to do that. And I watched a lot of the Eagles tape from last year. You did. I saw some really great stuff, and I saw some really terrible stuff. The gamut was so wide. And that's why he's such an interesting, polarizing player entering this season. Like, a lot of people around the league want to know what the heck Carson Wentz is going to look like because it could be really, really good, or it could be what it was last year, which was really, really bad. I feel like it's so fascinating, but it all goes back to one guy. And I said this from the beginning. The Colts are not betting on Carson Wentz as much as they're betting on Frank Reich. I really believe that. And based on his track record, like you just laid out, that's a guy you want to bet on. And he's here until 2026. So um, he's their guy. And there's a lot on him this season, not just as a head coach, but as essentially the quarterback coach, right? I mean, he's essentially the quarterback mentor. So I'm excited to watch this season, probably more so than I've been in years because the roster's there. The defense is ready to break out. And so much is going to rest on what Carson Wentz does. And now that he's healthy, we're going to get to see probably, you know, him take his best shot at reviving his career. Yeah, I think you're right. And the other thing I mentioned, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett and Philip Rivers. And the one thing all those guys did that enabled them to do their part in, in allowing Frank Reich to get them to that more efficient level. The one thing that they all did was they said, OK. I trust you and I'm going to I'm going to follow your lead because it does take some trust from the quarterback to say okay this scheme works and the play calling is going to bring the best out of me and I just got to make smart decisions and not try to take this upon myself. They all did that. I think they all did that on some level and that is how they got to that level. You know that that Frank Reich was trying to get them to. They have to do their part and that's their part. Their part is understanding your limitations and understanding what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. I think they I think that that Carson Wentz understands that and trust uh, trust Frank Reich enough that he'll allow that to happen uh, the way it should happen. That's the way I envision it at least. So um, if he, he wanted to be here in part because of in large part frankly because of Frank yeah. Reich. So I don't have any I don't have any concern that he's going to to fully trust him and and just kind of put his fate in the hands of Frank Reich. That will happen. And and I'll just leave you I'll just leave this as my last thought on on Carson. I'm telling you uh when you, when you see this guy, you wouldn't have seen him in the preseason cuz he's not going to play Friday. So, when you see him in a coach uniform on opening day, assuming he plays, it will be your first time. And I'm telling you, you're going to see what we saw. It it is this guy is going to be a fun player to watch. We'll see how it goes, but he adds some juice to it, and he's going to—he's got unbelievable talent. You're going to see it for yourself, and I, I really can't wait for you to see it. it One so, thing about Carson ahead, is he's—he's—he's he's, he's a stubborn dude. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Frank has openly said that. Like Carson cares about what players are being called, and he has a voice. And I think the fact that you just mentioned, like, he trusts Frank. He wanted to come here to play for Frank. That's going to matter. And and Andrew mentioned this, you know, 18 wasn't his most fulfilling season because he came back from the injury. It was because he had the most fun he's ever had playing football. And he said a big yeah. part of that was Frank and the way the offense was built and the trust he had with his head coach. He'd never had an offensive head coach before. But Andrew had played, you know, pain-free football before in 20, 
12 and 13, right? So it wasn't just the fact that he was pain-free. It was the fact that the symmetry was there with the head coach. That matters a lot. You know the best coach-quarterback tandems in the league right now. It's led by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That matters a lot in this league. Carson Wentz has all the physical tools. If they can keep that going and get on the same page in that regard and really build that trust, which you'd assume they will, um, this could be a very fruitful relationship. We'll see how it goes. But um, I'm glad we're going to get to see the full Wentz experience because there's so much talent there. You can just see it on the practice field. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. So there are other positions than quarterback, obviously. So I don't feel like there's a ton of position battles on this team. I think there are some some roster spots up for grabs. There always are, but I but I don't think there's even a ton of those. I think I talked about the the depth of this team. They brought back a ton of players. There wasn't a lot of turnover, but uh, let's see. Where are the position battles? I guess is the question. And I would start probably at wide receiver. And I think I know how it's going to go, but but there's also some discussions to be had there. Um, I would say, what, one through four in some order, T.Y. Yeah. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Zach Paschal. And after that, I think it's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, do you have thoughts? I have a couple, but... I can defer yeah, to you if you want. We've debated this, and I'm sure you've been asked a million times. You know, Michael Strawn, like, you know, no way they cut them, cut him, right? Like, I don't, I don't see it happening. You can't put him on the waiver wire. He's not there yet. He's not a polished player, but he has flashed a lot of physical talent. He knows how to use his size. You know, I had a good conversation with my, you know, Al, Mike Grow, the receivers coach, last week, and he's like, right, we're not going to fit him for a gold jacket yet. But um, they like how he's picking up the playbook. It's a huge step up. Um, the playbook is so he's going to run the wrong route once in a while but there's no way you let him off the 53 the question becomes Desmond Patman who's had a good preseason like Marcus Brady said yesterday he's been better in the games than practice and and Ashton Doolin who was gone for most of training camp because of an injury but he's back now and he's a special teamer who are you taking and that's the hard part I mean I think that I, I think when you're talking about your your last receiver, he's probably not going to play for you on offense. And, and as much as I agree that Desmond Patman has made has made the most of his past two preseason games, he definitely has because he didn't really impress me in, in training camp on the practice field. I didn't see it. In fact, I, I thought he was extremely underwhelming. Now, he has been really good in the past two preseason games. Here's the thing, though. If we're talking about in terms of, of upside and, and who's got more raw ability, I think it's probably uh, Mike Strawn. And so if the, if, if those two are in competition with them with each other, you take Strawn over Patman. Now, the question is Patman versus, for example, Ashton Doolin. And I think when you're talking about your sixth wide receiver, 
as I said, he's probably not going to play for you on offense unless things get pretty dicey, right? And in that regard, under that scenario, you have to make the decision based on other variables. And I think that variable is special teams. So if if, uh, if the special teams coach, <laughs> if Bubba Ventrone comes in there and says, I got to have, An- have Ashton Doolin because he's a great gunner, and he is, I think that's a very reasonable ask. And I think you put him on the active roster because you're going to get more out of him right now, at least, than you would Desmond Patton. In the long term, I don't know what you get from Desmond Patton, but but certainly right now, you're going to get more out of Ashton Doolin. So, and honestly, does Desmond Patton get through waivers? I think probably. I yeah, think you can I probably think, get him on the practice squad. I think you can live with that risk that you take. I don't think you Absolutely. can live with it if, if it's Mike Strawn. And I know he's probably not yeah. ready to play 40 snaps a game, but that dude can play, and he's going to be fun to watch as he develops the next couple of years. Yeah, no question. So uh, I think at let's see on on offense. I, I think the only other real questions are who are the backup offensive linemen. We don't have to debate that here. I mean, that's just really a, a matter of like you know who's healthy, honestly, at this point, <laughs> and and who's available. And and you know we're talking about you know just flavors at that point. So we'll see how that goes. I I think they they feel like they have something in Davenport, as you said. Uh, he has stabilized, I would say, the left tackle position. I don't think that I don't think it's great, but it's it's stable. It's kind of like you had a critical patient and he gets rushed to the hospital. What the goal at that point is to <laughs> stabilize, right? Well, <laughs> they needed some. They needed that about a week right. ago. I mean, it they was were bleeding a, to it death. It was a disaster. <laughs> it was like a trauma yeah. unit every day over there. Quiddy Pay, Ben Banigo, <laughs> you name it. They were all destroying the left tackle. Right. So it was like an old episode of ER. So, I mean, like, you know, someone it was like, you know, someone getting rushed in by ambulance every day. It, it was a disaster. The, the patient was clearly I'm taking this metaphor way too far. The patient <laughs> was was bleeding to death. And uh, so I think they've stabilized it, but they still have a ways to go. Right. The doctor's going to come in and talk to you later. But my point is, that's as best I think as we could expect right now. So, what if you're a Colts fan? All I can tell you is, you know, pray for Eric Fisher to get back, and yeah, he's got to get in shape and all that too. So it's gonna it's gonna take some time, but I think he's getting there. Uh, so anyway, outside of that, I think on offense, I think we know what it kind of looks like. Um, you know, we'll see about the fourth tight end. I don't know how that goes if they keep one defensively. A couple of interesting spots. I, I want to see what happens at the interior of that defensive line. I have no idea who it's going to be, but there's a lot of guys who have have all made plays there over the course of camp. I mean, one guy who's interesting to me is Antoine uh, Antoine Woods, for example, who came over from the Cowboys as a free agent. You got guys like Andrew Brown and um, Taylor Stallworth has been hurt for most of camp, but made a ton of plays last year. Right. So has he earned a spot? You know what I mean? So. Uh, there's been good competition there, and that's a good thing. Um, do you have any thoughts on the defensive ends? Because I, I think it's it's interesting. You know, they signed Isaac Rochelle in the offseason as a veteran free agent, and I think he's on the bubble. I really do. And and that's a that tells me the other guys have risen to the occasion. Um, what are your thoughts there? I mean, do you think – he, is he in danger, do you think? And and who are the guys you think that sort of have risen to the top at that spot? Look, I mean, what do they preach around here? What do they always say? Competition. We'll bring you in. We'll give you a shot. And Rochelle was really the first free agent signing they made. It wasn't a headliner move. But you know, this is a guy that played a lot of snaps for the Chargers the last couple of years. 
I'm not saying he's a lock to make this roster by any means because the emergence of a couple guys. I mean, you're not cutting Taekwon Lewis. Ben Banigou has earned a spot. He deserves to be on the 53-man roster. And and Quiddy Pay has stepped in. And you'll see what they do with Deo. I'm assuming he goes on the pub list because he's not going to be ready for quite some time. That gives you a little bit of flexibility. But I haven't seen anything from Isaac Rochelle in the last four weeks that screams, you got to keep him on the roster. And if it comes down to maybe him or Al-Qadim Muhammad, I'm taking Muhammad in a second. That dude's made plays for you in the past. And and I just don't – I don't know how many they keep on the line. You know, Chris wants to keep 15 if he could, but he can't. Um, I, I don't think Rochelle is a lock. And the other thing, and this isn't a big deal, but, you know, they, they've got a streak going of like 21 straight years where they've kept an undrafted free agent on that mm. first 53-man roster – this is the year it ends. I don't see I don't see it happening this year. Maybe I'm missing somebody. I know Hot Rod kept it alive last year. I don't think any undrafted free agents make this team. That's a great point. I don't think I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know who it would be. It Chap's would be gonna only... like have a memorial service for I mean, this is a big <laughs> deal. This is a big deal to Mike Chappell. He loves those stats. That's right. That's right. I mean, it is a cool stat, and it's it's amazing that it's happened even when when the team's good, not good, you know, somewhere in between. It's it's happened in every scenario, which is kind of amazing. But because generally, you would expect that of a really bad team, you know, to have such a streak that long. But right. it speaks to good scouting. So give them credit. But you're right. It's gotten harder to make this football team. So I'm not going to cry over it. I think it's a good thing. And I, I don't think the Colts are going to be disappointed by it either. You know, if your team is hard to make, done your job. <laughs> you know, right. your roster should be really hard to make. If your roster is hard to make, your team sucks. They're going to cut <laughs> you know? good players. They're going to cut good players. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. They're going to cut 15 good players next week, whatever the number is. And um, that's that's a reflection of, of really not just the last couple of years, but the whole five-year build under Chris Ballard. Because, I mean, what did he tell you when he took over? He's like, this team – they don't have any depth. They need to, you know, we, this team needs yeah. to get better. And he has really gone to work, especially on the defense, but adding depth everywhere. I mean, yeah. David Perry started 32, team, 32 games for this team in like 2015 and 16, for God's sake, at nose tackle. Right. Ooh. And then, you know, God bless his heart. But I mean, like, you think he was out of the league like two years later or something, you know? I mean, that's right. That's just not, that doesn't yeah. speak very well of your football their, team. Their you nose know? tackle right now is Grover Stewart, who's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it should not just be a throwaway position. He's made it an impact position, mm-hmm. <laughs> the nose right. tackle, which is a guy you never notice. You know, exactly. So that tells you something, and, and and I think that's that's when you know that you're doing a good job when you get guys like that in the fourth round, and you, it's two things are happening: you're scouting well, and you're developing those players too, because you got to coach yeah. them. Yeah, and, you got to coach and, them up. And and Grover was coming from Albany State, remember. Division two, right? I mean, that's that's like a step up from high school. <laughs> you know, I, I'm being a little unfair, but my goodness, you know, it's you're not talking about NFL type competition. You know, on a related note, I want to give a shout out to one guy. I think Brian Baker, their defensive line coach. I have I've had a couple of conversations with him this preseason, and he's a guy I've really come to really just admire the way he works and and the way he develops those players and. I now have started to understand why Frank Reich was so intent on hiring him. He's he's watched him from afar for a long time. Actually, I think they I think they both went to Maryland, right? They, they may have overlapped at Maryland, right. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, back, you know, like three decades ago when they were in college. And 
So anyhow, Brian Baker has become really one of the best college and NFL defensive line coaches. I mean, he last worked for for Nick Saban, okay, who is a defensive savant, okay? That guy knows defense. And that was his defensive line coach. So, you know, he was talking today. I was was with uh, Rick Venturi at practice, and and he and – Brian Baker worked together, I think, in the past. So they were having a conversation. I was just a fly on the wall. And it was great to hear them talk about all of the different concepts and so forth that they learned from Saban and different coaches. And, and they've been able to take all these different concepts from different player, different coaches, excuse me, and now apply it, you know, in this stage of his career, Brian Baker. And and I think you, it's no surprise. You're seeing real development in some of these defensive linemen. And I think he's a big key to that. I don't know how I got on that subject, but it's I thought so that was fun worth to watch mentioning. Brian Baker coach. He's my yeah. new Tom Rathbun. I mean, they're not the same yeah. guy, but like, I want to go play for Brian Baker. And I know I'm going to get yelled at a lot, but he is awesome to watch coach. He's the kind of guy you want leading that. Yep. Def- and, and look at what he did. I mean, Buckner came in last year, made all pro, hadn't done that before. Grover took a huge step last year. We'll see what happens with Toure. But Taquan Lewis made a big jump last year in training camp. We've seen the same thing with Banigou. I mean, that's development. That's development, and that's coaching, and that's what the position coaches are are so vital. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, good job there. I think, you know, the coaching staff, uh, this is the other thing I would say, a related note, is they had a big shakeup on the coaching staff this year, and they haven't played a game yet. We'll see. But, But they don't think they've taken a step down, and I think we'll see whether they're proven right. I think Nick Sirianni certainly is is no small loss. No question there. But I also think Marcus Brady, <laughs> I think we got to give Marcus Brady his his due. I mean, the, he gets it. I think this guy understands players, and him and Frank are in, are in really in sync, which is good. I also think Mike Groh, who you mentioned before, I think Mike Groh is an excellent coach. Frank Reich has told me personally, he said, this guy is the number one wide receiver, in, number, number one wide receiver coach, excuse me, in the NFL. That's what he says. Now, is he biased? Yes. Yeah. But that's high praise. Okay. It's pretty and high Frank, praise. Frank's not going to hire you to coach his receivers. And I mean, Frank knows offensive football, right? And the and, and mm-hmm. Mark Chris Brady was the assistant QB coach, a guy with a CFL background like three years ago. You know, like yeah. Frank was the QB coach. Remember when he started? And the fact that he climbed so quickly to be the absolute no questioned OC when Sirianni left tells you what Frank Reich thinks of Marcus Brady. And you're right about Grow as well. Grow is, um, I think this could be a big year for him in that if Strawn plays well and Paris Campbell plays well, that's going to look really good on Mike Grow and Frank Reich and the Colts. And, and I'm rooting for I'm rooting for Paris Campbell. Got through training camp healthy. Um, good for him. Rooting for that dude this year. Yeah, good guy and deserves a break finally. <laughs> uh, the other guy, the one last guy I want to mention is Scott Milanovic, who actually deserves a lot of credit because he's the guy who referred Marcus Brady to Frank Reich. So you know, Marcus Brady should should buy Scott Milanovic a, a big bottle of champagne one day because he owes him a lot. But, I mean, he earned it, right? He had to he had to do the job. So it's not like anybody gave him a gift. But but that's, that's the way, that is how Frank Reich found Marcus Brady. But Scott Milanovic, in his own right, I think is a really impactful quarterbacks coach. So he's a very experienced guy. I think he's going to have potentially a, a lot of impact on this quarterback room, particularly these two young quarterbacks, man. I, I think we have to give him a lot of credit for, for what he was able to do and, and at least making those guys competitive. That's hard, man. 
You know, here he took Sam Ellinger, who <laughs> I thought honestly would have been lucky to be on the practice squad when they drafted him. And yeah. here we were talking about, hey, you know what? Maybe he could be the number two quarterback. I mean, like that's that's amazing. So it's not all the coaches getting. It's not the coach getting all the credit. The player gets most of the credit, but the player, the, the coach deserves a lot of credit too. So uh, credit to those offensive coaches you know, for for doing the job that they've done. If you see players getting better, then someone is someone is is contributing to that from a coaching standpoint. It doesn't just happen, right? So. Anyway, um, now today was the last day of training camp. Whew, man, not a yeah. day too soon either. <laughs> um, what is, let's just put a bow on this. With that last glimpse that we got today, we saw a lot of practice over the last four weeks or whatever it was. What is going to be your, your big takeaway from this training camp if there is one? I know it's hard to boil it down, but do you have... Like, is there an impression or a thought or something like that you'll take away? Because when we went into this training camp, you know, you don't know what the team really looks like. The offseason was kind of a joke. We hadn't really seen this team. So the first look we got was was really in training camp. So yeah. what do you think? What What's your takeaway? Well, it was a pretty boring training camp, except for the fact that the star quarterback and the star left guard had the same injury. The head coach and the GM both got extensions. I went to Canton and wrote about two of the best ever play going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Braden Smith got an extension. Darius Leonard became a $100 million man. And I'm probably forgetting like five other things. So other than that, it's been a quick, easy four weeks in Westfield. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to do with this question. I'm going to go to one guy. This is, the, this is my memory from this year's training camp. Is Jonathan Taylor is ready to bust out. Like, I just believe mm. that. I just see it in him. I see a different guy. Like, he's confident, and he carried what he took from the end of last year where he was the second-best runner in the league the last five weeks behind Derrick Henry. And I just feel like there's a ton of confidence. And, I mean, to talking to him today, he's, mm-hmm. like, ready to go play right now. Like, he would play at 8 o'clock tonight if they could. And I just get that vibe from him. And I thought a lot of guys had a great camp. I had thought Michael Pittman and Kenny Moore and Buckner and Grover and Okariki and – you know, all those guys had great moments. Zach Pascal, Kari Willis, they had great camps too. But for me, the standout is Jonathan Taylor. And I think he could be even a bigger piece to the offense this year than people think. And and Naheem Hines had a great camp, and he does so many different things. But, man, Taylor, just he just looks great. He looks great on day one, and he looks great on day 20. You know who agrees with you? It's Frank Reich. Because <laughs> I think has, I'm on to something. Yeah, he has bubble-wrapped this guy, like, it, you know, if I had maybe some thought that he might play in Detroit, that kid ain't playing, <laughs> okay? I don't think he's going to play, and that would mean that he has not had a carry in the preseason. I don't personally give a shit. I think that's fine. But uh, it is interesting, I mean, because to, to protect him to that extent, and I could be wrong, maybe he will get a carry or two, but it doesn't sound like they're going to play many starters. I mean, I thought Frank Reich was pretty clear, yeah, we're sitting our guys. So... My point is to to protect him to that extent when even DeForest Buckner played a few snaps in the preseason. I think it tells you something. You know, he knows this kid could be a big, big piece of our offense, and I'm just not going to put him at risk. You know, and I thought what he, I thought the action he got against Carolina, which was really physical, and I, I agree with Frank Reich on this. Like that was a pretty good tune up in terms of, you know, contact and that kind of thing. So, but no, there's no question. They they see it too. And 
And I'll tell you, you know, I, I get this question all the time and I still don't know the answer 100%, but how are they going to split up the carries? Yeah. And the more the more we go along and the more I've had this conversation with people, I now think it's going to really be the Jonathan Taylor show. And they'll they'll definitely sprinkle in Marlon Mack, but I don't think it's as much as people think. Probably not as much as you think is what I would I say. didn't think Marlon looked that great in camp, he didn't look like, especially by the me. end. He didn't look yeah. like he had quite the same burst. And with Taylor looking great, it's just it just kind of it kind of makes the decision for you. You know what I mean? I think I think yeah. by the end of the year, Naheem will be the backup running back. I mean that maybe that's a stretch, maybe it's not, but mm-hmm. um, we'll see. And I'd love to be wrong about Marlon Mack because he's such a good kid, but um, I think Naheem's looked better in camp than Marlon Mack. I have no doubt Naheem Hines is going to have more touches for sure. Yeah. And I told him yesterday, and they've been running this. I said, you know, you're gonna you're gonna kill somebody with that that wheel route at some point, aren't you? And he's, <laughs> he just kind of smiled like, and actually he, he did it last year in Detroit on that touchdown where he wasn't touched. So yep. yeah, he, he's been, they've been running some really interesting stuff. I, I, I know I shouldn't give away a lot of stuff, but I think we can do it in the podcast. I don't think Bill Belichick's listening. Uh, they had the, uh, they, they've had a lineup where they had two backs on the field at the same time and they just, split Naheem out wide and run him on that jet sweep action. And you can do any number of things when you do that. So, like, they have plans for Naheem. There's no question about it. Uh, this this backfield is going to be a big part of their success. So, I guess what I'm saying is it should be fun. It should be fun to watch. So, What's, uh, What jumps out of you at training um, camp? Yeah, I, I think I, I think the defense, I think it has – now, it's, it's hard – to really gauge it, right? They were they didn't go up against Carson Wentz, but I still feel like the defense has a chance to be special. It just yeah, you know, the first day when they got all their guys back, they had some COVID guys. Darius was hurt, and you know, there were guys were in and out of the lineup. And I think I told you this. Remember one one weekend coming out there a couple weekends ago, and all eleven guys were out there. For like just a rare occasion where like all eleven guys were practicing, and you take a step back and you look at that lineup and you're like, "Huh, I'd take that." Yeah. You know, I think most teams would take that, right? So, w- what they don't have right now is they don't have that that sort of defensive end who who keeps you up at night. Like, yeah. how are we gonna block this guy? Right? Not and, yet. And that's fine. Not yet. Unless Cody Pay becomes that guy next right. year, the year after. Yeah. Right, so I, I think they have the makings of that, but they don't—they haven't established that yet. But, but really, that's the one thing they're missing. I, I mean, outside of that, I like this defense a lot. I mean, Bobby Okereke, I think this guy is—I think he's going to be the player who jumps up this year and and has a year kind of like Kari Willis did last year, where it's like, whoa, you know, like where did that come from? I think Kari Willis is is still underappreciated, but. But he was fantastic last season, okay? And I think Bobby Okereke is a guy like that who could have – or maybe a better example is is the jump that that Grover Stewart made, right? I think he could have that kind of jump. And he just looks great in training camp. And so anyway, to your question, I just think the defense. I think the defense is going to have a lot to say about how good this team is going to be. They were very good last year, but I thought they – they lacked a little consistency. And if they can be yeah. more consistent, that is going to be the difference. I mean, I, I look at a few games last year where I thought, okay, that 
they just didn't show up the way they should have. You know, there was, uh, I thought there were some moments in the Cleveland game where they, they had some missed opportunities and, you know, games like that. And, and I just think that they might be in a place where, where they don't have as much fluctuation now in their performance. And if they do, well, that's going to change the game for sure. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, they got a chance at something. <laughs> yeah, it's something big. We'll see how it yeah. goes. But, uh, hey, yeah. they got a chance to win the first season opener since 2013. That'll be a now good you're start. Now you're talking crazy. Jim Irsay, crazy. Jim Irsay would throw a party, the likes of Canton, if they win that <laughs> opener. <laughs> I was asked on the radio, I think just this morning, you know, of those first five games that we've talked about incessantly, you know, for months now, which are, you know, really, I think, telling five games on the schedule, right? No question about that. Like, what would be the biggest win for them in terms of just propelling them? And I was like, <laughs> or what would be the biggest statement win, I think was the question. Mm-hmm. And I was like, week one. For <laughs> I was sure. like, I don't care if they were playing the Houston Texans. It's week one. <laughs> but it, but it's also because it's, it's the Seahawks, and I, I just think – Number one, obviously you want to start with a win, but I think also if you can go play that team, uh, a team that's going to be physical, a team that wants to run the ball and, and really test your strength of your team, which is, I think, the run stopping in the middle of that defense. If you win that game, it means that you were successful in those in those areas, and that bodes well for them. So um, it would it's going to be a really interesting game. Uh, Lucasville Stadium is going to be loud, and uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it for sure. So, all right, um, Zach's going to get in the car and drive to Detroit and bring you great coverage of preseason week four. We appreciate your service, Zach. Short straw. Short straw. <laughs> we appreciate your service, Zach. Uh, we found out today they're not playing the starters, so, you know, Zach is, uh, is really pumped up for that. Um, <laughs> we shouldn't hey. complain. Like, this is not the worst job in the world, but, like, come on. Let's be honest, people. <laughs> it's, a t- it's a tough night, but we got to pay our dues because the regular That's season's right. coming soon. That's right. That's right. No one's going to feel sorry for you, but, like, I get it. Okay. Yeah. So, anyhow, and after that, uh, we've got, basically, it's a two-week countdown. So, we'll see. Um, they're back at it. After, after that game, they're back at it uh, this weekend, and I would think by – the middle of next week, they're really going to be heavy in the game preparation, and it's going to be all Seattle all the time, and, and the season's here, man. So uh, roster cuts coming on Tuesday. We'll hear from Chris Ballard as well next week. So lots going on. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the podcast after the final cuts, and uh, we'll dive into whatever is going on there. So we appreciate you guys listening. Stay tuned for more coverage on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, now's the time. Season's starting. Need I say more? And we appreciate all, all of those who have already uh, jumped on board and been with us for a long time. So I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. We appreciate you listening uh, to 1% Better. 